welcome to all the people who are here today. Uh, and I'm on a podcast with Derek and Joe Clark. And uh, I'm so excited to hear about you. I have seen you a lot on internet and uh, we have the same thinking about the horses. So, so please introduce yourself. Hi, well, I'm Jo. <laughs> um, and I'm Derek. Hello there, Anne. And we're in the UK. Um, and what we do is um, we have a, an online course and we teach people um, how to make the progress they've always dreamed of with their horse, but they haven't been achieving it. And to have a much happier horse as well at the same time because we found that the what we're seeing a lot in the modern world is um unhappy horses and riders and you know pe people put their whole all their money and all their time and all their energy into having a horse and it's supposed to be fun and for a lot of people it's just not fun at all so yeah so we're having a lot of success with that and a lot of fun at the same time well yeah <laughs> yeah i agree and and people are stressed and and they wanted to get something out of their riding and and yeah it's exactly it's just the, the wrong way yeah so um it all started when i mean i was a, i was that horse crazy little girl from as early as i can remember and all i all i wanted to do was ride horses and be with horses and uh i I, well I didn't ever have my own pony which was the, <laughs> the one thing I wanted more than anything in the world but I didn't ever have my own pony but I spent all my time riding all the horses and ponies in the neighborhood that nobody else wanted to ride so I rode the crazies and the lazies while I was growing up and um, then when I went to university I wanted to join the riding club there and they told me it was full so there oh, I was oh now what am I going to do <laughs> so, and because I'm very tall the, the there was a lot of rowing at the university and the rowing club people saw me and said you need to start rowing so I ended up rowing very seriously for quite a number of years and um, actually competed in the Olympics in 1988 and well, that's how I met Derek because Derek grew up knowing absolutely nothing about horses but absolutely obsessed with rowing <laughs> uh, that's right yeah I, I knew rowing boats in, inside out but um I, I didn't sit on a horse until probably in my 30s some, something like that mm -hmm. and that was all my fault that's right yeah <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah and so um yeah Derek was actually my coach and um, we ended up marrying and um, we were living in Switzerland for quite a few years but we came back to the UK and I just thought you know what um I'm too old to row now. I think I'll I'd really, really like to get back into riding horses and at last get my own horse. So I did. I went I went back to riding and um, I'd sort of been I hadn't really been looking at it for about 10 years. And when I came back, everything had changed and I was horrified. I just looked at what is going on. These these horses are all behind the vertical. And at the, this is the late 90s, and at the time, the roll crew was at its worst. So horses were being ridden with their nose actually touching the chest. And mm. it was just completely wrong because, you know, I had riding lessons growing up and I was taught the nose must always be in front of the vertical or on the vertical and the pole must be the, at the highest point. And I'm looking mm. at these horses and none of them are doing this. No. And what's gone wrong? This is, and all the horses were unhappy. But I got myself a horse, um, a lovely Hanoverian, and he'd been um, imported from Germany as a foal and started by a Grand Prix dressage rider. And when I went, I, she hadn't done very much with him. I went to try him and he had basic walk, trot and canter. And he seemed really sweet and an absolutely beautiful horse. And I just thought, well, can't believe I can afford such a nice horse. So I bought him. And the moment he arrived, it was just, an absolute nightmare from day one. He was so unhappy. Oh. Oh, it still makes me emotional to think about it. And it's a, it's yeah. a long time ago now. But um, yeah, he was just, he, he was very frightening to be around on the, in the stable. He, he would try and attack people all the time. And uh, 
riding just got worse and worse. I, I, I couldn't really get him to do much at all. And my trainer couldn't get him to do anything either. And he would, he eventually, after a few months, we had no canter at all. And if I asked him to canter, he would kick out and cost me an absolute fortune mending the school boards all the time because he would just smash them. And, uh, and then we, had, we didn't really have halt. I would have to ride him into the wall to stop. And then we lost turn left. He wouldn't turn left. And I just knew he was unhappy from the day he arrived. And I kept saying, there's something wrong here. Horses shouldn't be like this. But my trainer said, oh, he's a sports horse. They're, they're all a bit like this. And But to me, it just I just knew it was wrong. Yeah, so that's terrible. That's yeah, terrible. And, many you know, many horses are misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, he'd been, I, I thought I knew about horses, but Perry said no to absolutely everything. And so I had to look for a better way. And, and it was, it was a case of either sell him while I was nowhere near experienced enough to try and sell a horse in that state or shoot him. And I didn't want to do that. And I'm I'm quite stubborn, so I was just okay. We've got to find a way. That's to... a good thing to be stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Listen, I'm not, not going to give up on this. I know there must be a way to get this horse happy and you know wanting to play really. And uh, luckily enough, I found somebody who'd been trained with Monty Roberts, and um, he helped me a lot. And uh, he was actually really shocked at how bad Perry was. He said he was one of the very worst cases he'd ever met but he said we're not going to get anywhere with him here you need to bring him to my yard for a week and we'll really get a lot of stuff done in a week so I had to wait till my trainer went on holiday <laughs> because I didn't dare tell him and we packed up Perry oh, wow. even even getting Perry to travel was a big major drama but we won't go into that but we got into this yard which was a, just horse heaven it was beautiful it was in the countryside all the horses there were um well basket cases really <laughs> they were all there because they were severely um well they had been misunderstood so you know they were behaving the way you don't want them to behave and everything so they were all there to be rehabilitated and um perry was so much happier by the end of the first week i couldn't take him away I couldn't take him back to the dressage yard we had to so I went there for a week and we ended up staying there for 18 months. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I learned so much. And, you know, his behaviour on the ground and um, in the stable got much, much better. And everything was much better. And he, he relearned how to be a horse from being allowed to be out in a herd of horses and just be natural. But the riding in the school was still really not improving at all and the moment I asked him to do anything he would just pin his ears back and just say I hate this so much hmm. and even getting him to go into the school was very very difficult he would just plant his feet and say no don't, I just do not want to go in there and hmm. and now I'd learned all these ways of overcoming his fears and carefully taking tiny steps to encourage him to do things that he was frightened of but with this one it was just getting him into the school was so difficult um, and it was clear you know there was that we started some major problems so I, I kept looking and it was before the internet really took off it was before social media it was quite difficult to find information still then yeah. but I you know and I I tried I tried everything I we we took his shoes off and we his feet were in very poor condition they were just falling apart and we did a, a lot of work on his feet and his feet improved his lifestyle had changed my relationship with him except for riding was much much better um changed his nutrition improved I stopped feeding him the crazy grain mix that he was being fed at the dressage yard um he had much more suitable food we changed his saddle twice the, the finally found one that he was much more comfortable in but that was another epic story saddles and yeah uh, <laughs> it is I'm sorry, I know you make saddles yeah. don't you yeah. so you know <laughs> yeah it was uh, quite shocking the saddle situation but anyway I found one I found someone who makes saddles that are actually horse shaped and that was a huge improvement um and eventually I came across somebody who was coming over from the states and teaching a totally different way of riding and um one of my friends had been for some lessons with him and she said why don't you come along and have a look so and by this time, you'd learned to ride, hadn't you? I've missed well, that. I missed that yeah, story yeah, sort of completely. Missed, but, <laughs> I've just been well, sitting here enjoying yeah, the story. Yeah. But when when I took Perry mm. to the um, yard yard for rehabilitation, 
I always knew Derek would be interested in horses because it's all about communication and Derek's always been very keen on communication as a way of coaching and uh, but he'd never had any exposure to horses and when I first had Perry you thought I was crazy didn't you? Yeah um, well I've, I've been a coach since probably the age of 15 and um, as I say this this was when Jill got her first horse or I was probably in my 30s something like that um, and so um, yeah Joe jo would would go off riding uh, after work we, we were actually running our own software company at the time when we came back to England uh, which was a, a bit of a big life change because I'd always been involved in sport up until that point um, but Joe would go off and uh, spend some time at the stables and um, then come home and, and in the evening she, she'd get back to the house and be kind of in tears and covered mm -hmm. in sweat and obviously unhappy um, <clears throat> and, and this was supposed to be my dream that I'd waited my whole life yeah, yeah and you know I, I was kind of scratching my head and, and you know wondering what was going on and, and yeah why why, why, why did you, you do yeah. this <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly and I, I got interested because Joe encouraged me to, to sort of come along to the stables with her once or twice and um, I remember when, when we first got to, to this place that she was describing which, which really was heaven for horses but um, there was a horse uh, a herd, sorry, of, of about 19 or 20 horses, and, and they were all kind of um, a little bit crazy one way or another because of the experiences that they'd, they'd had. And they were loving living in a herd together. But when we went to the field and Joe would, would go with a head collar to, to catch Perry, these 20 horses would come galloping up what was something like a 30-acre field. It was, it was pretty big. And um, they were having a great time, of course, but I just didn't know what to do. I, 30, 20 horses running. Scary. <laughs> I, you know, should I be big? Should I be small? Should I yeah. turn around? Should I run away? Uh, you know, what's going to happen when they get close? Um, so I, I was interested to, to learn a bit more. And Joe actually bought me a, a birthday present that year. She, she arranged for... The guy who who ran the yard to give me some some basic lessons on the ground understanding how to relate with horses and uh, understanding them a bit more and and um i remember the the challenge that he gave me we did some work on the ground person to person and he taught me about body language and, and using our uh, body position and, and where we focus our eyes and things like that uh, and how we can guide horses around uh, without necessarily physically touching them so I was fascinated by this already and I remember he he sent me a little test he, he took his um his own pony an Exmo pony called Finn and he put him in a stable and he said okay your, your job the stable door was open and your job is to keep him in there for as long as you can but you're not allowed to touch him and I, I think I managed about 30 seconds something like <laughs> exactly. that before yeah <laughs> before he ran out past me but but the thing was I, I realized from that first experience with a horse really that you know that there's actually somebody in there um I I'd, I'd seen horses before and and of course they're they're beautiful animals but without understanding them they, they just kind of look like a, a big hairy animal and you know they're, they're nice to look at but there was no understanding for me of, of the fact that there was a, a, a being in there who mm. actually is is very smart, yes. very, very good at being a horse because he, he's had lots of practice <laughs> and um, actually were, was pretty keen on playing with, with mm. me. And it literally, it felt like a game, you know, it felt like playing. Yeah. So kind of from that moment on, I was absolutely hooked and wanted to learn to ride. So I, I, I got my own horse. Um, Joe helped me in the beginning. I started having some lessons. Um, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm sort of moving, jumping well, things no, forward I too think much. You, you riding, but... I wanted you to talk about your experience of your first riding lessons because yeah. I thought I, I sort of tried to teach Derek a little bit, but I realised I didn't have the skills to start someone from scratch, especially my husband <laughs> it wasn't going to be it wasn't going to be very good for a relationship so, so no, I, I have tried with mine it, it doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> so I organized some lessons for him with I thought a good teacher but you uh, your experience was very interesting it, it was yeah um I mean basically I I as I say, I got on a horse, I knew absolutely nothing. So I, I wanted to know the really complicated things, like how, how do you make the horse go? How, how do you get him to stop? How do you get him to turn? You know, all, all the really advanced stuff. And um, 
the the problem was that the the advice that I was being given and things I, I, I was being taught were the typical things that you would hear in normal writing lessons but they they just didn't work uh, you know I couldn't make them work and it, it seemed that the more I I tried to do the things I was being taught the the more they didn't work and also the more I asked questions the more the answers seemed just really sort of not very convincing and so I found myself thinking well if, if I can't understand how this is supposed to work how on earth am I going to communicate this to my horse? You know, how, how am I supposed to actually? Uh, how's your horse supposed yeah, to understand? How's he supposed it? to? Yes, yeah. And I'd had an experience, a little bit like this actually, when when I was at school, um, playing completely different sports. But I, I happened to go to a school that was uh, very well known for rugby, and I'd never played rugby in in my life, and until I went to senior school, and I I guess I was kind of expecting that someone would teach me. How, how it works, you know, teach me the rules and, and, and explain what was expected of me. And actually my experience when I got my first chance to, to run onto the pitch was that the, the referee, the, our teacher at the time, um, stopped the game, uh, blue's whistle, stopped the game. And he said, okay, Clark, you're on. And so I, I ran onto the field and I had my, my new rugby jersey and my, my new shorts, my new boots and absolutely no idea what to do. And no one explained a thing. Um, it was as if I was supposed to just know by by magic um, that you know what I was supposed to do, what the rules were, and so on. And what happened in practice was that the I, I would do something. Someone threw me the ball, uh, so I started running, thankfully in the right direction to, towards the opposition's goal line. And someone came to tackle me, and just by instinct, I, I guess I, I jumped in the air and, and tried to sort of jump over the top of the tackle. Um, not knowing that actually this is against the rules. And so the referee blew his whistle and, and he told me, you can't do that. And actually didn't really explain what I should have done instead, but just said, you know, you can't do that. Blew his whistle again, the game carried on. And, and this was my experience. You know, every few minutes the whistle would blow and I'd be told what I had done wrong, yeah. but no one actually explained what I was expected to, to do instead. So you can imagine that that was pretty. Um, yeah, it's it's very and very co common. Uh, yeah, they um, always tell you what not to do, not yeah. what to do, but not necessarily yeah. explain what to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then actually, when I started rowing, um, again ju just by chance, really, but I, I got the opportunity to try rowing, but I had a completely different experience. And and again, this was at school, but of course, the the difference is there's no one who's born knowing how to row. Uh, it, it's just, it's a very strange activity for, for humans yeah. to do. Um, and I'm fortunate that I'm like Joe, I'm also tall and I've got long arms and legs. So I had some, some natural talent, if you like, some natural abilities that would be useful. But even simple things like, how do you actually climb into a rowing boat and sit down? without turning the thing over and yeah. making everyone fall in or, or putting your foot on the bottom of the boat going and, straight and through going straight through <laughs> uh, smashing the boat to pieces and then when you first hold the oar um you you have to figure out how do you actually hmm. make the the strokes in the water without getting the oar stuck in the water and doing what they call catching a crab which, which actually if you do that you you can you literally get, get thrown out of the boat <laughs> you end up in the water um, you, yourself so all of these things had to be explained and that was just the the way that things happened in in this sport and we were fortunate to have a a, a good coach who who could explain what I had to do and I absolutely loved it and I turned out to be good at it you know I, I became absolutely obsessed actually with, with rowing and I rode at school I rode at university I, I, I then became a professional coach um, I coached and, and worked with people from, from all standards from literally from beginner both men and women boys and girls all the way up to literally olympic team level and um, joe mentioned we were living in switzerland for a few years and, and i was actually coaching the the olympic team uh, out there so um that that was kind of my background prior to having the riding lessons and when i had these initial riding lessons where I, I couldn't make anything work and and as i say the more questions i asked the more the answers just actually didn't really seem to make sense and I couldn't figure out how they could ever work um so I I like Joe I was just thinking well you know there's got to be a better way than this we, we have to look around and find someone who can actually explain how things work and 
what we need to do. The, the timing um, was amazing, really, wasn't it? Because yeah. we sort of both of us arrived at this point where we had to find a completely different way of riding, and and that was the exact moment where I found out about this different approach, and and it's a very old way of riding, and it's from France, and uh, the most of the books written about it have never been translated into English, so I'd never seen or heard anything about it up till this point but we went along to the clinic and it was it was a revelation wasn't it yeah it was just yeah. astonishing horse after horse after horse came in and they were ordinary horses and they were doing extraordinary work I mean way beyond the level that in my mind I thought they should be able to work and it was beautiful and everything this guy said made sense so I just said to Derek well we have to we have to bring Perry on the next clinic Fortunately, he was over in the UK again a couple of months later, wasn't he? And mm. I took Perry and that first lesson, I was it was the first time I'd taken Perry out to do anything since we'd arrived at the rehab yard. And I'd done huge amounts of practice, getting him loaded and going out for little trips and everything. And we arrived there and he was just wired. He was this is a bit much and mm. I, just, <laughs> I rode in for my first lesson hoping I wasn't going to die <laughs> and I was just desperately trying to keep him in walk on the track and Perry was sort of about to explode as far as I could feel and the first thing that the teacher said he yelled at me he said you think nothing of pulling on your horse's face and I just said help I don't know what to do <laughs> I was just I didn't know what else to do all yeah. I was trying to do was use the outside rain to keep him on the track yeah and uh, he said no 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 don't ever act backwards on your horse's mouth it hurts I was oh oh but what else do I do and then he started to show me a few things and and it it helped a lot and Perry started to say yes but then he said well let's try canter and I said well we haven't cantered for 18 months and he said, well, let's try. And Perry, once again, lashed out with his hind feet, hit the boards. And I, and I just said, well, look, this is the problem. What do I do? So he agreed to ride him and he got on board and it was silent in the school, wasn't it? You could hear a pin drop, I think, because everybody watching was just thinking, is this horse going to kill the master? <laughs> but no, he, he did some, he didn't move Perry, forwards very much but he was just shifting his weight around from from foot from leg to leg and we were watching him going what on earth is he doing never seen anything like it and then he walked a little bit and tried moving his bending his head and lifting his neck up and stretching it down again and one I couldn't imagine how on earth he was doing this stuff but also just watching was incredible because the look on Perry you could see Perry thinking mm -hmm. so what what's this what's this this is different and he was interested but also it kind of looked dangerous and then it was 10 minutes or so he dropped the reins and he said this horse has been tortured and I was <laughs> it was finally somebody understands what I'm dealing with here it was just awful but also such a relief you know here's someone who, who can actually explain why is my horse behaving like this and he said he's been systematically tortured and what he meant was goosebumps oh yeah <laughs> he meant this is this is what happens to modern dressage horses yeah you know the ones who were bought as high quality youngsters and the the idea is to get them up to grand prix level and international mm. level they're put through this terrible program and actually the truth of it is a lot of them don't survive oh that's right it's dreadful but there is this other there is another way of doing it and uh, i felt the timing of everything was so incredible that you know it all happened as though it was meant to be and I just worked away we did a lot of work from the ground and um I had to totally relearn how to ride from scratch because it's uh, it's very much about having a conversation with the horse's mouth in a way that the horse finds comfortable and understands very easily and also reducing the aids to an absolute minimum so with Perry I couldn't use my legs at all because if I asked him anything with my legs he would just put his ears flat and refuse to move so most horses have been have figured out that if you use your legs you're, they're supposed to go forward so they go forwards 
Perry had learned if he just refused to move, then the human would give up and leave him alone. So I couldn't use my legs. So how do you get a horse to go forwards when you're not allowed to use your legs? Well, you know, there are plenty of riders in the world who have no use of their legs at all, who are riding beautifully. So it is possible. And um, it was all about using Perry's posture to determine what he would do next. So by talking to his mouth through the beard in, in the way that we now teach, we get him into a posture where he feels like, and this is where I would go forwards, and you give a little release and the horse goes forwards. And it did take a few months, but I think it was four or five months later, we, we counted for the first time in the school where Perry actually said, yeah, why not? And that was just amazing because this horse had been just refused. I mean, he would, if we went out riding outdoors, he would counter when we, when the other horses were going fast, he would counter. But in the school, if I asked him to counter, he would just say, absolutely no, 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 not doing it. And then he started to say, oh yeah, okay, why not? Let's canter. And it was amazing. Mm. Yeah. And and Derek started to have lessons with him as well, didn't you? So Yeah, well, that, that, that's right. I mean, I, I had the experience of, um, a very unusual experience actually in the modern day of, of learning to ride in the old French way, uh, the, the, the old French tradition, I, I guess it would be called. Um, and I learned to ride that way pretty much from, from day one. Um, I, I can't remember exactly how many lessons I, I had. I think it was three or four before yeah. you just said, this is a complete waste of time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, after <laughs> literally just a few lessons. And I, I was thinking back to that old rugby experience and, and thinking, well, just, you know, yeah. I've been here before. This doesn't work. There's got to be a better way. And thankfully, uh, as Joe was explaining, we did manage to find um, an alternative. And so um, I guess the, the, the big um, difference for me in, in what I was being taught was actually there's, um, I think that there's a very widespread belief in the world that good riding is all about using the legs and using the seat and that you more or less shouldn't do anything with your hands. And like many things in, in riding, you know, that there's an element of truth to that. But of course, the real story is, is much more complicated and, and much more detailed. And when, when someone already knows how to ride, then you, you won't see them doing necessarily big, obvious things with their hands. But the way that they use their hands and, and you know, we all use our hands, whether we like it or not. If, if we truly never used our hands, then, of course, we'd, we'd drop the reins, stick our hands in our pockets and it wouldn't make any difference whatsoever. Uh, but I think pretty much everyone who, who's ever ridden a horse knows that, that that's not the reality. And so our, our hands are involved, whether we like it or not. And th this idea that we, we shouldn't do anything with our hands. I guess it, it, it comes from military riding, really, where the, the recognition was that if hands are used badly, then you can very quickly cause a lot of trouble. But what we really need to do is learn how to use our hands well, rather than just not use them at all. And the catch is that that takes a little bit of time. You know, we, we have to develop the, the understanding and develop the skills and, and do the practical riding and actually learn how to use our hands in, in an effective but also very horse friendly way and the better we get at doing that the less and less obvious what we're actually doing becomes so once someone is, is is skilled at riding this way of course anyone looking from the outside you can look at them and, and think well they, they don't seem to be doing anything with their hands because you can't see anything obvious but if you were to ask their horse what's going on with the hands you get a very different answer you know the, the horse can feel everything mm -hmm. um even if it's just a, a minuscule change of, of pressure in the rain and um so whereas in in the early lessons i i've been taught the the usual conventional ideas about using your legs and seat and and for example if you've got a horse who's leaning in on a corner which all horses will do naturally in the beginning until we teach them otherwise um if the horse is leaning in and we're supposed to just use our legs and seat to correct that situation, of course, the reality, uh, as anyone will, will recognize for themselves, is that it, it's actually very, very difficult it, and it often doesn't work, particularly more on one side of the horse than the other because of the, the natural asymmetry. And when I was taught how to use my hands to ask a horse to bend and ask him to change his balance, what I discovered very quickly was that actually it works incredibly well. 
and horses mm -hmm. respond to it um, very willingly. So it's obviously not something that is uh, is irritating them or, or causing them pain. It's actually helping. It's them. the opposite. Yeah, it, mm -hmm. it's the exact opposite. So it, it's not that we don't use our legs in our seat when we ride, but we we use them in a very different way from the modern uh, kind of conventional approach, which, which is really actually based on the belief that um well it, it's more than a belief actually it's a reality that the a rider's hands are actually extremely effective at communicating with the horse and, and modifying the horse's posture and, and position and balance and so on and if you know how to do that well then it, it it's like having the keys to the magic kingdom you know you you, you really can solve uh, any problem mm -hmm. that, that a horse might present you um and you can achieve things with with ease and in, in a very very short space of time because you actually work with the horse's nature and the the way that horses control themselves has a lot to do with how they use the head and neck and so by having a bit in the mouth and being able to communicate with the the head and the neck directly if you understand how a horse uses his own head and neck well, well then you can work with that step into their world and rather than having to teach them things uh, and, and teach them to respond in certain ways, you, you actually um, just sort of step into their world and, and just ask them to do things that they actually would do for themselves out in the field. It's a little mm -hmm. bit different, of course, when, when we're sitting on their back and we're affecting their balance. But essentially, they already know how to do all the things that, that we might ask them. It's a case of us learning how to ask them and, and how to guide them uh, into to taking the postures that they would take uh, quite naturally. So um, if you have the time and, and the, the interest and, and the willingness to learn how to do that, it really opens the doors to very, very high levels of riding, even for a very ordinary rider and, and even for someone like me who has very little natural talent for riding and started late in life uh, as well um and if if you if you're not either not willing to <clears throat> excuse me to to invest the the time that's necessary and, and develop the understanding or you just haven't got time to do it and, and that's the military situation actually that you know if you imagine large numbers of, of cavalry soldiers who all have to be taught uh, to, to really to, to come up to a kind of minimum level of, of riding in the shortest possible time. It's, it's a different challenge. Uh, and so that way of riding, which was understood back in, in the um, 1700s, particularly and, and especially in France. Um, but when, when riding changed, that was right about the time of the French Revolution, so the, the end of the, the 1800s, more or less, um, the, the nature of riding changed quite dramatically, and it became about developing big numbers of people in the shortest possible time. And so rather than try to explain to people and, and give them the time to understand and learn how to use their hands well, the whole puzzle was kind of flipped the other way. And the, the military advice became, well, just don't use your hands, you know, put, put your hands in front, keep them steady, and essentially don't do anything to annoy your horse, which, yes, we, we can understand, but it takes away so many of the possibilities, mm. and all you're left with is drive the horse forward with your legs, um, and, and yes, you know, some, sometimes people are talking about driving the horse with the seat as well, um, but what are you driving the horse into? Uh, unfortunately, you're not just driving him into an open space in front. Um, that way of riding relies on the, the bit, essentially acting as kind of a, a barrier uh, in front of the horse. And you'll hear expressions like um, thinking of a toothpaste tube and the, the legs and the seat squeeze the toothpaste, uh, but the the reins are used to stop the toothpaste escaping. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, you hear this idea that you know the, the legs and seat um, drive the horse forward, and and the hands regulate the activity. Mm. And okay, you know, if it, the trouble comes when when you start really digging down into those words and, and asking questions uh, to understand, well, what does that really mean? You know, what what does it really mean if my horse is going too fast, and you're telling me to regulate the speed with my hands? But at the same time, don't pull. Mm. How do I actually do that? Mm. Um, you know, the, those were the things that the, the answers just became more and more vague. 
and and actually less and less effective the the more the, and, the and many the people just took a sharper bit yeah 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 mm. exactly and of course if you take a sharper bit yes that works but what you're doing in fact is increasing the barrier in front mm. and and horses aren't stupid you know far from wow. it so if, if you put a stronger barrier in front that will stop the horse going forward but very quickly he's going to work out well if i try to push forward uh, my mouth hurts but i know a solution i'll stop pushing forward and, and then the pain goes away mm. and so then you end up with a horse who won't go forward mm. and you know the, the the problems just build one or one, go yeah. upwards yeah yeah, yeah exactly. exactly yeah they, they, it, it it just becomes um you know like an arms race you you use a stronger bit but then you need a more powerful way of insisting that the horse goes forward and, yeah. and he goes too forward and, and so it just goes and on it, and it on very and on. quickly yeah. becomes all based on pain and fear and mm. yes how can that be a good thing for a horse yeah. no not for anyone no. no no exactly and it's you know um, most riders don't enjoy that situation either because I, th I think most people like me realize that the horse is not enjoying what they're being asked to do mm. but they can't find another way mm. no. so um and it, it's that yeah it, it, it's having an alternative that, yeah. that I think is the key um yeah. because that again if if we go back to that situation of the my different the the, the difference in my experience of, of playing rugby and and starting rowing uh, was that someone had to explain what yeah. to do you mm. know rather than just yeah. tell me what what not to do and to cut a, a very long story quite short it, it turns out that actually if you use your hands in a way to modify your horse's balance and the, the short answer that there's an aid uh, called a demi-array uh, in French, which interestingly, if you translate it to English, it, it does translate literally as half halt. But the demi-array turns out to be something very different from the, the modern day understanding of a, of a half halt. Mm -hmm. Because the half halt that involves the leg, the seat and the hands really is just a way of compressing the horse when, when you sort of strip away all the, the nice words and, and you look at um, you know what's actually going on uh, when, when people are taught to do this. Um, the demi-array is something where you actually lift your hands in an upwards direction and the idea is it acts very gently on the corners of the, the horse's mouth and encourages the horse to change his own balance by changing his posture, lifting his own head and neck. And it works incredibly well. Um, so once I've actually been taught how to, how to do this, and of course it takes a little bit of practice to get good at it, but once I was taught how to do this, it was like a, a revelation. Mm. You know, I, I could instantly solve problems. Um, and he, his riding progressed so fast, it was beyond belief. You know, the, I remember the first time Derek tried to counter half pass. And for me, that had taken me, well, I didn't learn I didn't learn how to do that until after I discovered the French way and been studying it for quite a while but Derek who didn't know it was supposed to be a difficult movement mm. the first time he was asked to do it on a horse that understood how to do it already he just did it and it was beautiful he just floated across the school sideways in canter and my jaw pretty much completely fell off my face <laughs> I never, I couldn't believe it. it's the first time he's ever ridden this movement and he rides it perfectly. And Derek's just, well, what's difficult? Yeah. And actually, it, it but, should, it also be my difficult. thoughts that, that Derek, he he hasn't anything before. Uh, if uh, if I should go and ride this, I'm sure that all the old manners would come back to me, and it's difficult to to get rid of that before you get to the the point. I can think. Um, it, it's definitely it, easier if you start with a, a blank piece of paper. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but, definitely. But, yeah. but what you do have is the ability to sit on the horse and feel, and your body knows how to move with the horse. Mm. So you don't you don't lose that. And you know, for somebody starting from the beginning, that takes time for your brain yeah, and your body right. to learn the feelings and you know the movements and everything. So um, you do you we will you will always have that advantage that you already know. Mm. how to basically ride how to be on a horse and yeah, you right. know a lot about the how the horse responds and everything and you know for Derek he was starting from the beginning not knowing nothing about horses but the, of course that was a huge advantage as well because what you did learn was all positive <laughs> yeah you know so, what, what I was learning yes was, learn it in the right way from the start right. yeah. yeah 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 but um of course 
you know starting as an adult has, has its own challenges uh, hmm. you know you, you, you sit on a horse and, and you have a I think a much clearer understanding of what might go wrong when you start as an adult hmm. whereas you know if you start as a five-year-old or something like that you, you don't care you know even if the horse goes too quickly That's and right. runs yeah. off or something you know you, you probably don't even feel afraid so I, I can definitely recognize that <laughs> there are definite advantages of starting young um but it, it, it's not impossible to learn to ride, you know, reasonably well, uh, even if you start later in life. I, yeah. I guess that's the, that's the good news. Yeah. And, you know, one of the first things we teach at the beginning of our course is how to deal with the fact that you you have all these strong neural pathways that are making, making you do the things you used to do in your riding. And actually the experience of learning in your brain a different way of doing things it can feel very discouraging if you don't understand it but just understanding how it's going to feel and what to expect and what to do when you feel confused or overwhelmed it makes a huge difference to people doesn't it because, yeah, and, and yeah. also we have a marvelous community where everybody's learning this together online in, in the facebook group um mm -hmm. and everyone helps everyone else and every everyone's going through this well i've been riding this way for in some cases 70 years already and they change how they're riding and yeah. because every, everyone's going through it together so they can say oh, i can't believe it my legs just keep doing all these stupid things that i don't want them to do anymore <laughs> and, I, and other people will say oh i know it's happening to me too but then we can encourage each other and say you know the first step is being aware of it hmm. so yeah. the fact that they're noticing it that's so positive you know once you know that your body's doing something you don't want it to do then you can start to consciously think yeah but i'd like my legs to just keep quiet now so they'll keep quiet for a little while and then you notice they've started bothering <laughs> the horse yeah. again <laughs> so no stop doing that and you, and you know it doesn't take very long as long as you're not stressed about it mm -hmm. that after a while you'll have a day where you you ride and you think oh my legs didn't do that today my legs actually did what i wanted them to do for a whole ride wow amazing yeah. and it's just taking these steps and, and understanding that you're learning takes a little it feels uncomfortable that's the thing isn't it when you start mm. doing something differently mm. especially when you've been doing it for your whole life already yeah it feels uncomfortable and i think the one of the key things is the feedback that you get from your horse when you start mm. doing things differently it's so good yeah uh, you know horse horses are so um expressive and, and they make it so clear about whether they they're happy with yeah. what we're doing on their backs and they're incredibly they're forgiving aren't they yeah. they just say oh this is so much better fantastic mm. and they don't they're not i mean humans sort of bear grudges and say well you were horrible to me for years before this so i hate you forever but horses aren't like that they just say wow today this is this is great yeah. let's do some more and we we find people's horses in a very short time can go from just being really unhappy about working in the school at all to going in there and and being happy and wanting to work and enjoying it and playing and over and over again we've had people who've done our course tell us their horse has gone from looking miserable when they arrive at the yard to being happy to see them and name to them and mm. isn't that wonderful the horse is so much happier <laughs> <laughs> and of course the the the, the ride is much happier as well it's you know this is about helping people and helping horses and it works both ways hmm. that's fantastic and you yeah. know when we yeah. we started teaching because um the funny thing is when we've been learning this french way and at the same time i learned how to look after horses feet without shoes so and i actually did a course and qualified as a equine podiatrist and I started doing that professionally. So I was helping people with their horse's feet. And while I was trimming the horse's feet, I would talk to them about what I was doing riding and tell, telling Perry's story and my story. And they, was, they would say, next time you come, could you give me a lesson? <laughs> so I started teaching as well. And I, I had no idea how to teach. I just started teaching them the things that I'd learned in my lessons. And it kind of grew. Yeah, and, and the fantastic thing is that is your horse that have given you this opportunity yeah you had to figure out who how you could help your horse in, yeah. in with with hooves and his mood and everything so here yeah. you are today with with all this knowledge because of one horse yeah 
That's right. Yeah, um, he, he absolutely is changing the world. He yeah. has changed the world, yeah. Because um, one of the things, when we we decided to go professional, was in hindsight very brave and <laughs> and opened our own riding school. This was in tw- uh, 2009, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And uh, people started coming to us for lessons. And we'd also, um, I discovered Philippe Carl, who's a teacher. Um, he, he was in the Cadre Noir in France which is the equivalent to the Spanish riding school in France. And um, he, was one, he was one of their top instructors and he was actually the soloist in their performances. And um, he'd retired from that and he was teaching in Germany and he'd started doing clinics and it was, he, did, he brought out his first DVDs, didn't he? And mm. I saw one of his DVDs and I just said, well, I want to have lessons with this guy, he's amazing. But we discovered that he doesn't just give lessons to people, he was only teaching teachers and only on courses leading uh, sorry on clinics that were part of his course which was a three-year course um, where you um, trained to be one of his licensed teachers and at the time he just started doing this and you weren't even allowed to go and watch unless you'd signed up as a spectator for the entire course as well so we had to wait until his first open clinic didn't we Mm, and we went to Germany as soon as he had an open clinic at the end of his first round of courses we went over to Germany and watched, and it was just fantastic. It wasn't him riding his horse; it was his. It was his train. It was, it was his trained teachers riding their own horses, having lessons from him, and every single one moved in a way that I'd never seen before. And it was just beautiful, relaxed, and loose and flowing. And I thought, well, my horses don't move like that. Even our current French-style trainers' horses don't move like that. I really, really want to learn how to do this. And um, it took quite a bit of work, didn't it, to persuade Philippe? We, had, it, we kept going did, out to yeah. Germany yeah. And, and annoying him. <laughs> yeah. We just kept saying, please, will you come to the UK and start a course here? Mm. And um, two, four years, actually. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and finally, he agreed. He did. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, like like most of these things, it, it takes a long time to get the ball rolling. And, and then once yeah. he actually made the decision and said, OK, let's do it. It was, it was stopping again. When should we stop? Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Was, we, yeah. Had, we had to find mm-hmm. enough professional teachers who were interested mm-hmm. in training with him yeah. to fill a course. And um, we found nine, including you. Mm-hmm. We, we both wanted to train with him, but he said he would only take one of us because he wanted to spread it geographically around the country he didn't want to have two people on the same yard so we had to we had to make the very difficult decision which of the two of us should go first mm-hmm. and that was really tough and actually what had happened was I'd had brain cancer and uh, at the time I actually didn't know how long I was going to live and the doctors were saying not very long so it was clear that Derek needed to ride first because I didn't know if I made it even to the end of the course, would I be able to then carry on teaching? And uh, so the, it was it was very, very difficult for me, but we decided Derek should go first. So he, he rode on the first course. Fortunately, I actually found a lot of alternative ways of approaching cancer and I'm fine. And this is- Oh, 14. that's good. Yeah, 14 years ago now. Yeah, and I know you're a hypnotherapist, aren't you? And one of one of the big things I did was hypnotherapy, and it was very holistic. It was diet, and and um, yeah, a lot of it was what was going on in my in my head from the point of view of what I was thinking, not what was going on in my head from the point of view there was a tumor in there. But um, yeah, it's gone. It's completely gone, and I'm okay, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, the horses were a big part of that as well. I really do think just having that connection with other creatures, there's something very magical about it. And it was, you know, you've, we're all connected. Our consciousnesses are all, our non-consciousnesses are all connected. And, and we have, beings have this um, ability to heal, help each other heal. Yes, and, and things happen for a reason. I, I believe yeah. that as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything happens for a reason, even the really bad things. Well, they seem bad at the time, but yeah, yeah. it always turns out to be. I mean, you know, me buying Perry felt like a disaster, but he was absolutely the, the right horse because, as Derek said, he's, he's mm. changing the world. Mm. So, anyway, yeah. So, Derek did the first course and passed his exams, which are very difficult exams at the end of the course. 
and got his qualification. So he's one of the, there's only three in the UK who are the level of um, license that you've got and another three you've got a lower level so far. And, uh, and, and there's Catherine as well, who, who's... Uh, oh, she's, now got, she's, now a, yeah. she's now a master teacher, yeah, yeah. she's... Uh, yeah, so the, the, these are, for, for people listening, this is the um, the, the School of Légerté, uh, as we call it in, in English, uh, Légerté being the, the French word for lightness. Um, so the, the École de Légerté is the, the title of uh, Philippe's organisation uh, that, that he founded. He's teaching uh, instructors. Um, in many countries around the world, actually, something like 10 or 12 countries now. And um, as Joe was describing, we, we really created the first course in the UK. Um, so there, there are a number of people that uh, that do teach this way now that the number sort of growing uh, around the world. But of course, it's still relatively small. And um, if you don't happen to live close enough to uh, your, your to the nearest teacher, then um, what we're providing with, with our online course is, is uh, a way for people to get started in, mm. in the, the ideas of writing in lightness, um, but without necessarily having to have access to, to a, a teacher. Yeah, yeah that, that is fantastic uh, with internet that we can do this online thing yeah, and, uh, and show yeah. in, in many okay. ways how to do it. Uh, I have a question there. You said there's not many but but it's an old way to ride. Uh, yeah, very old. How is it with with um, if you're going to compete in dressage? Can you use this kind of riding, or how is it with with that? Yeah, you you absolutely can, and there are people who are actually doing very well mm. in competition. Um, what tends to happen? Um, it, it is that just historically, because of the way things that have developed, mm -hmm. dressage competitions are really focused around the, the traditional German approach to riding, which the, the actually the old German approach to riding has a lot more in common with the French approach that, that we're following than the modern day approach does. Think, things in the modern day have, have really gone uh, down a, a different track, and particularly in, in the last 30 years, something like that. Yeah. Um, so what, what tends to happen is if you are already riding at a, at a reasonable level and, and you've done the, the basic schooling with your horse, then um, the horses move extremely well. They're, they become easy to ride. And of course, that's a sign of a, a genuinely well-schooled horse is that they become easy for anyone to ride. And so you can go and compete on a horse like that and you should do very well if the competition is being judged according to, to the, um, the criteria, you know, the, the, the FEI rules. Um, where I think it, it's different and, and people can have a different experience is... In, in the early stages of training, we're interested in working with our horses. And there are certain things that we have to do uh, in order to make life easy and make things possible for our horses. And just to take one example, if you have a horse who tends to, to lean heavily on the bit or put, put weight on the bit, put weight in the rider's hands, then of course we have to change that situation. We have to encourage our horse to balance differently. And the French way of doing that is to use the horse's posture to change his balance. So that means using the demi array that I mentioned earlier, asking the horse to, to raise his own neck, to raise his forehand. And to make that easy, you actually allow the horse's nose to come out well in front of vertical, in fact. Mm. Now, it, it's a gradual process of training. And the first thing we need to do is, is help the horse get into a good balance. And once he's in a good balance and he, he's developed lateral flexibility, Yes, then you can ask him to flex at the pole and, and the nose comes close to the vertical. But chasing the idea of the vertical nose when the horse is already on his shoulders, which in fact is the majority of cases, actually. Most horses mm -hmm. spend you know, most of their life with, with too much weight on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. And so if we focus on uh, things like lunging the horse in side reins, which is something we, we would absolutely never do, um, what that tends to do actually is uh, keep the horse on his shoulders and, and in many cases even bring him even further onto his shoulders. So if, if someone is going to be uh, 
spending their time worrying about what the horse looks like from the outside right from day one that's what gets them into a lot of trouble and of course if you look around the, the dressage magazines and so on um you would almost never see a horse nowadays with, with his nose even in front of vertical never mind uh, you know with, a, with a, a nose significantly in front of the vertical so if you if you're in the early stages of training you you need to make a bit of a choice you you either need to choose to go and ride the competition and do it in the right way for your horse but accept the fact that the judges probably are going to take marks off and rightly so actually because the horse is not yet fully schooled uh, you know not yet completely trained um but you you can go to a test you could just accept that's what's going to happen but but ride in a way that's right for your horse at that stage of his development um or perhaps you you just leave the competing until a bit later you know yeah. stay at home focus on schooling your horse and an, an experience that that people have again and again when when you do choose to take this approach is that progress in the very early days can appear a little bit slow because it takes time to get the right foundations and to build your understanding. Oh, this is particularly reschooling horses, isn't it? Yeah. If you have a young horse who this is the way they've been trained since day one, the progress is incredibly fast. It is actually. Yeah. 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 But for most people, they're dealing with a horse who's learnt mm. a lot of things that you really wish a horse never learned. So it's particularly about how they respond to the bit and pressure in their mouth. So um, it can take a while. Yeah. Yeah. But, but we have got several people who do compete in dressage and they're, 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 they're seeing huge improvements, aren't they? Yeah. Well, Much to our to, surprise. <laughs> yeah. What, what I wanted to say is, is that, you know, pr progress can seem a little slow in the beginning and, and compared to, uh, you know, just, just getting the horse's nose down and, and going into a dressage test and, and having something that looks like the right sort of frame. Um, Except it, it doesn't it, really. It, yeah, it, it isn't really. And it, and it takes time to build the right foundations. But once you've got those foundations in place, the progress really accelerates. Mm. And, and what you'll find is that the progress is unlimited uh, at that point, because if the foundations are right, you know, just like building a house, if the foundations are right, you can build everything else on top of that mm. quite easily, actually. But if the foundations are wrong, even if you seem to be making a lot of progress quickly in the, in the short term, what happens is you you hit a brick wall uh, and you get stuck and either the horse starts to refuse or you, you get stuck on on trying to develop the next exercise and uh, you you find that problems don't have solutions uh, and so you know our experience is that taking that little bit of extra time in the beginning to get the right foundations mm -hmm. you get to the real goal much much quicker overall for the horse's sake as well for Absolutely. the health yeah mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah and uh, it seems to that that everything should go so quickly uh, today and uh, the young horses uh, must go in competition three years four years and and all of that um, i also think that take the time in the beginning then then it will you maybe have the horse 10 years more in this Absolutely. way yeah exactly yeah and of course if if you look in all of the books of all of the old masters from you know any particular school of riding of mm. course that's what they say um it, it's just that in the modern yeah. day as as you mentioned um i i remember from my young age i was uh, to see all these uh, english jumpers uh harvey smith i think and and all them uh, and uh, there was talking about in in this competition that he has his young horse with him and it was 12 years old yeah today at uh, 12 years old they're almost uh, finished you, you never <laughs> you never buy a 12 years old horse because that is that is too old yeah but uh, it's in modern times it's it's just the other way around it is, yeah. So um, at the beginning, you were asking us about our bowling ball concept. Yes, <laughs> because I I thought that it makes so much sense. Yeah. So, so please so, explain that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, we were. It was. We. It took us a long time to really 
learn to be good at writing the French way. Um, and it also it was quite difficult to teach as well, wasn't it? It took us a, a, quite a long time to figure out how to teach it effectively. Mm. And one day I was riding Perry doing lateral work and I was riding shoulder in and I suddenly got just a sort of vision in my head of him. I imagined if there was a big heavy round ball between his shoulder blades just in front of the saddle and I, I just started to think okay when when I want when I want him to do a lovely shoulder in towards the left I'd like that ball to move slightly towards the left and when I want him to bend him the other way and move it the other way I'd like him to move it slightly to the right and when I want him to collect and sit down a little bit and really lift his front I want him to lift it up and as I, just, I imagined this thing and I could actually feel where it was and I found that just thinking about it, I could get Perry to move it. And it was, it was amazing. And all of a sudden, everything we were doing got much, much better. And it was as though all these concepts of using our hands to change the horse's balance and posture and everything suddenly fell into place in a way that was really easy for my brain to communicate to, to, to Perry's brain what it was I'd like his body to do. It was just this amazing sort of connection. So I started trying teaching it to people in writing lessons. And amazingly, it worked for them as well. <laughs> so, so I thought, OK, I think we've got something here. And I told Derek about it and Derek started teaching it as well. And it really, really worked. And it hugely accelerates the, the rider's ability to um, be able to do quite a complicated thing in a simple, in a simple way. Yeah. And what it is, it's just it doesn't exist, this thing. But um, the horse's balance does behave as though there is a big heavy weight between the shoulder blades that it can move up and down and from side to side. Hmm. And it makes it very easy to understand the horse's natural asymmetry because all horses carry the bowling ball a little bit to one side. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, my, my current horse, Magic, he, can, he likes to have his bowling ball in, in his right shoulder all the time. So a lot. So all the um, exercises that we do when I'm riding him are based on helping him to find it easier to carry it more centrally and to the left when when we need it to be a little bit to the left. And it's for him. He's he's the most untalented riding horse on the planet. He really is not built for riding at all. He should be pulling something, but he's able to um, do well, move beautifully, and do quite astonishing work isn't he mm. and everyone who knows him they see him in the field and they're just like oh no he's not going to be any use and then when they see me riding him they just can't believe their eyes he transforms into an absolutely beautiful elegant smooth and relaxed riding horse it's, how do you do that and it's just I ask him to put his bowling ball centrally and up most of the time and ever so slightly one way or the other depending on what we're doing and he's then able to carry me very easily and he he's able to move in a way that he can't move naturally. I mean, I've, I, and he loves it, doesn't he? He, mm. he has actually, before now, dragged me into the school when my idea was to go out for a hack. <laughs> when we had our actual riding school before um, COVID and everything, I, we had an outdoors mounting block and that's where I would take the horses to climb on board to go out for a hack. And we had another one inside the school and that's where I would get on board if we were working in the school. And that day I was asking him to line up at the outdoors mounting block to get on because I wanted to go out hacking. And he actually pulled me into the school and put himself next to the mounting block in the school. <laughs> and he said, I really like working in the school. Let's work in the school today. That's how I interpreted it. So we did mm -hmm. some work and he was very happy doing it. And I think for him, it, he feels better in his body from doing the work that we do together than he does on his own. And to me, that's an absolutely amazing thing because I've I've always wondered, you know, is it really okay to ride horses at all? It's it's our idea. We ask them to carry us around. We ask we tell them what to do when we're riding them. Why should they do that at all? And actually, I'm I'm convinced now that if it's if it's done well, it makes the horse feel good in themselves, and and it's good for their brains as well, isn't it? Mm. I think you know, domesticated horses have quite a boring life. Because mm, yeah. wild horses like live out in, in a herd, there's always things, there's difference in different mm. mares coming to the herd, different stallions arrive and disappear. And there's a lot going on. And there are predators and there's all different terrain and they're not restricted where they can go. 
well at least that's how it used to be before humans took most of the planet for ourselves but um for a domesticated horse if they're lucky they live out in a big field but yeah. it's a field and they're always in the same area mm. and they're always with the same companions most of the time yeah. and they, they, they get can't the food in one place and yeah, yeah there's not much for yeah. them to do no. and i think when when the work that we do with them is fun and play Mm. and makes them feel good and it's really good for them mentally then they become much calmer and much happier and we've seen this consistently over mm. so many different horses haven't we yeah. and and to our amazement since we've been teaching online instead of actually in person it's, it seems to work even even better when people have a course where they have recorded videos that they can look at and play mm. And even some people have it on their phone and they'll ride a bit and think, oh, now what was it they said about this? And they'll get yeah. out the phone and watch the video and go, oh yeah, yeah, and then try it. And yeah, and it's, yeah. it's and, and they keep coming back to us and saying, my horse is so much happier. Mm. And for me, that's just, that's just what it's all about. That's just it is. fantastic. Yeah. It feels like that's why we're here on the planet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is fantastic. Time is running. <laughs> I could talk all day with you. Uh, but please tell me where can people find you if they wanted to connect with you? Well, our website is derrickandjoe.com. So I better spell that because it's people can't spell Derek or Joe usually. So that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's D E R E K A N D J O.com. And our Facebook page is Derek and Joe Clark, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. That's nice. I hope that many would contact you because I, I love this idea to have the horse happy and, and uh, you get ha happy as well. So uh, yeah. thank you so much for coming today. I'm really, really happy that I have met you and talked to you. So thank you, and thank I you. hope I see you again. I'm yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so <laughs> thank much you for the invitation. Much. Yeah, we we we've loved <laughs> really being able to, to chat with you. Good. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. bye, -bye.